Welcome back to brand new episode of T. Druff, the Film Buff podcast. This will be a review of the second episode of season eight of Game of Thrones that will be titled A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. And once again, we did not find out that title until after the fact, but it completely fits what uh, ensues this week, which is that Brienne finally gets her due. But that's not the only thing we'll talk about. First off, I'd like to mention that this episode was all in Winterfell. I can't remember the last time an episode, perhaps Watchers on the Wall was the last time an episode took place entirely in one setting with that um, fight uh, against the wildlings uh, alongside the wall with all the brothers of the Night's Watch. But anyway, it, it does fit because think about how separate a lot of the Cersei and Euron stuff felt last week. It just fit with everybody in Winterfell, including Jamie now. Um, you know, it just made sense to have the entire focus be set uh, up north. And and we will begin right there with Jamie, who starts off the episode really under his own trial, um, with his both his brother and sister undergoing trials earlier in their respected seasons. That would be Tyrion in season four, um, undergoing the trial of uh, Joffrey's death and then Cersei. All the stuff that she went through in season five, episode nine or ten, is when she finally does her walk of uh, atonement throughout the city there. And uh, this this is Jamie's episode to to shine, not really to shine, I guess, but more so to atone for all of his sins that that he's uh, he's he's done throughout the eight seasons now. And and uh, and, and not much shocking dialogue here. It's really what you expect, Daenerys. Um, you know, starting not starting off with telling him all the, the stories that she learned from uh, talking with her brother growing up about all the things that they would do to the man who did kill their father and left him to die while he sat on the Iron Throne, and that would be the Kingslayer Jamie himself. And um, I, I really did like the way that this first five to ten minutes panned out. I honestly could have done about twenty-five to thirty minutes of this trial, much like the Tyrion trial in season four, and. Um, and everybody does have their little chance to step up and talk. And mostly it's Sansa and Daenerys um, talking to Jamie, and, and really John is almost an afterthought. Even think when Daenerys says, "Well, what does the Warden of the North think of of what uh, Jamie is, is to be done to Jamie?" And, and that's she's not saying, "What is the King of the North?" She, "What is the Warden of the North?" So it's it's interesting how that power power dynamic has shifted, and it's really Sansa who she's looking to. Um, and, and that's where Brienne comes in and defends Jamie and, and says all that he's done for her to keep her alive and, and in turn keep Sansa and I guess in a way Arya as well alive because he had, he'd armored Brienne, he'd let her go from the city, he'd given her a sword, Valyrian steel sword to protect her. So the only way that she's in the position she is now is, is through Jamie. So I, I love that, that turnaround and I love that Sansa's honest reaction. Um, is to just accept the fact that yes, she wouldn't be there without Jamie. Uh, moving on to uh, the end of that uh, confrontation, there I, I love how it ends with um, you know Jamie saying, "I would do everything I, I did already. I'd do it again. It was all to protect my family. We were in war. Um, I wouldn't change a thing." And you know, Bran says, "The things we do for love, right?" I mean, that's that's the perfect ending to the Bran Jamie. Uh, interaction. Of course, you do get the scene shortly after of Jamie eventually apologizing to to Bran in in, in the the courtyard there, and um, that's that's really powerful because Jamie has never been one to 
uh, apologize or, or really admit to, to his sins. And I, I love that uh, Bran basically tells him that we wouldn't each other be in, in the positions we are now if you didn't push me out that window. So in a way, I guess you can say that everything does happen for a reason, right? Especially with all these characters in Game of Thrones, everything does kind of come back around and everybody gets what's coming to them. Uh, but going back to that trial scene, it, it's interesting how even in that scene, Tyrion tries to step up and defend Jamie, and you know what's coming. You know Daenerys is going to throw it right back in his face and uh, basically call him, uh, essentially, you're either a fool or you're a traitor. You know, you either didn't see this coming, uh, which makes you a fool, or you were plotting with Cersei um, somehow against Daenerys. And I know there are theories out there that he was plotting against Daenerys, but that's come on, that's that's not the case. They're not going to do that to Tyrion's character. Um, but but it brings up the the point of is Tyrion ever going to get a redemption? It's it feels like throughout these first couple episodes, season six, season seven. I mean, he's been through so much. He's done so much wrong, uh, in a way, serving as as Daenerys hand of the hand of the queen. I mean, are we building up to Tyrion? somehow in episode three thinking of something that nobody else would think of and then win the battle of winterfell because of him is this going to be some sort of redemption for him because we are sure building up to that i mean i can't I'm, i just don't know where they're going to take that character other than give him a redemption or he's going to die next week i mean it's it's one or the other to me um but but again in that scene you have brienne stepping up for jamie as well and that's that starts out the the best part of the episode which is that dynamic between brienne and jamie and they're the heart of the episode almost you, you could say the heart of the entire series and that's brienne finally calling him a man of honor and and going back to season two i think it's uh you know catlin who actually does call jamie uh, a man without honor that's the the title of i think season two episode four uh, but it fits that Brienne is the one who eventually um, does give him finally some credit for all that he's done, all that he's been through. Um, and uh, it, it's just a great callback, much like the brand line, uh, the things we do for love, a man of honor calling Jamie that that's it's just a great, great callback to season two of this show. Um, Sansa and Danny have a, have a scene as well this week and, and we saw them in the the premiere kind of on edge with each other not trusting each other rightfully so they don't know each other they don't know what each other's has been through and i liked how in this week it was jorah who comes up to naris and says you know let me give you some advice essentially um you know he he talks to her about how he sh she should trust hearing his mind is better than um than she thinks right now and the second thing she's he says is well, we don't see it on camera, but he's essentially saying, you, you got to go make up with Sansa. You can't have this. We got the army of the dead approaching. Um, you know, it's it's your lover's uh, sister, essentially, even though she finds out later in the episode, it's not um, uh, her brother. But anyway, that's a great scene between Sansa and Daenerys because nobody really wants to see them at odds with each other. We already have Cersei to really fill that void for both Daenerys and Sansa so it's really nice to see them have a, a nice scene with each other where um, you know they, they even kind of joke around a little bit when Daenerys says uh, you, you know Sansa asked Daenerys you know who was the other lover you you uh, submitted yourself to essentially she says a, a taller man or whatever I mean that's 
or someone taller. I mean, that's you just don't get those comedic moments in this past couple of weeks. We've gotten so many of them. It's just it's nice to see, especially with the dire episodes. I'm sure we're going to get in a couple or in a week or two here. So, uh, but it does end with Sansa saying, you know, what about the North? What are you going to do with the North? If you conquer the Seven Kingdoms, if you sit on the Iron Throne at the end of this, if there really is going to be an Iron Throne, what are you going to do with the North? And, and that's when Daenerys pulls back, pulls off that hand from um, for, from Sansa's hand and, and doesn't say anything. And, and I, I imagine that there's more dialogue there. I can't, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that, that we're just cutting away for dramatic effect. I'm sure that Daenerys said something else to Sansa. I, I have to believe that she's going to, eventually just understand that you don't need you don't really need the north to be uh you don't under your rule i mean think about the lannisters never went north anyway you know they could say that they were ruling the north throughout these seven or eight seasons but they never went north anyway i mean it's always been under the stark or you know in season two it was under theon but and they had the ironborn and then eventually the boltons but it's always been its own thing. They always say that there's more people in the north than the uh, entire other six kingdoms combined. So, you know, I just, I eventually, Danny's got to come to grips with the fact that that's just not going to be something she's going to be able to rule. But interrupting that scene, which is probably my favorite scene, or maybe second favorite scene of uh, of the week, which was seeing Sansa. Uh, reunite with Theon and it's been what two weeks or two seasons I'm sorry since uh, they've seen each other and then that was when Theon eventually rescued her and then got her to Brienne and then he went back to the Iron Islands and and although they've never had many uh, scenes together besides most of season five a little bit of season six their dynamic with each other is it's, it's one of the best on the entire show and um, you know I nearly tear up seeing Sansa embraced Theon and, and Theon admitting to Sansa, you know, I didn't go back to the Iron Islands. I came here. I want to fight for Winterfell. I want to fight for you, my lady. And that's just, I, I you know, and then later in the episode, they're kind of giving each other some looks, you know, while they're eating their, their last supper of sorts. I, I don't believe that's romantic looks, but um, it was, it was certainly, certainly something that, worth noting that their, their friendship, their bond is, is something special and something you don't, typically see on the show so um that was Sansa and, and Theon and and also thinking about Theon later in the episode when they're all circling around that table kind of making plans for you know the battle to come I, I love that Theon steps up and says you know I'll defend Bran I, I took the castle from him in season two essentially and I'll I'll defend it for him now because that's it, it's the same thing with Jamie they're just atoning for their sins it's it, it really puts into perspective how well those characters arcs have have come around since the first and second seasons Alfie Allen has always done a great job of, of portraying that tortured soul as much as he was you, you know a, a cocky son of a gun in the first couple of seasons and he's kind of one of the more unlikable characters at that point but it that just goes to show you how great of an actor he is that he's been able to to come around and and get to the point where he is now um and in that table sequence where they're all talking about their strategy it's it's worth noting that we finally do get some at least hints as to what the night king's plan is i mean bran thinks it's just to take out bran since he's essentially the you know the memory of the entire seven kings 
Seven Kingdoms. If he takes out Bran, then um, you know he's essentially just taking out the entire history of the world, and he wants to, you know, make everything an endless night and an endless winter. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to get any more of that and any more of his motivations at this point in time. It seems like it's he's just an evil force that pure representation of evil there's not really any good behind him unless they pull the rug out from underneath us and say that somehow the lord of the light is the evil one and he's gonna come out and somehow and come and stop the lord of light i'm not sure maybe Malsanja plays into that somehow we haven't seen her yet this season so could be something to note there but um it was definitely interesting to hear bran um tell everybody else what he's been seeing and and that he's the one that the night king's coming for and he's just going to go ahead and sit out by the tree i mean it's, it's an interesting tactic especially because if he's just going to sit out i don't care who's defending you if if you're just in a circle of, of people around you and you're sitting in the uh you know the snow out there in the courtyard come on he, he's going to blow right through you guys there's no way bran survives next episode is that the case i'm not sure what else you know bran has to play in, in the rest of the the show and what what else does he have to do he's 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 told the few people that needed to know about Jon Snow's heritage what else does Bran need to provide to the rest uh, of the show everybody knows how to defeat the the White Walkers Valerian Steel and Dragonglass we don't necessarily know how to defeat the Night King himself I think everybody thinks that it's just Valerian Steel but I'm sure we're gonna you know come to learn that there's gonna be more to that um, death than than we may originally have thought does that play into the azora high and uh possibly john snow bringing lightbringer from his love's heart plunging it from his heart or wherever that prophecy goes you'd have to read more into that than than i'm giving you but but that's kind of what um, we might be looking at with the night king but it is interesting that that dion's going to be defending brand next week do they both go out well more on that in a second um i guess we might as well touch on Arya and gendry um, since we're kind of moving through the rest of the cast here, moving through the rest of, uh, of the episode, you know, Arya does have that nice scene on top of the, uh, the castle with the Hound, which was a nice compliment to her first scene this season with the Hound, where you do finally see a little bit more of the Hound's heart. And he says, you know, I fought for you after she asked, when's the last time you fought for anybody but yourself? I think that was a, that was a nice compliment to last week, but with Arya and Gendry, um, you know, as weird as people think it is that they... You know eventually uh, had their moment together the last night um you know they slept together that that night but i don't you know i i take it as you know, they they both deserved that that emotion throughout all the seasons they've been through so much um you know gendry he even tells Arya about his his time with melisandre how he's essentially almost tortured and then aria we know what she's been through um, I just I feel like it was it was a nice scene for both of them to have, especially if their time is not long in this world anyway. Um, but but it is it, it was nice to see even before that scene when Arya is essentially telling Gendry how um, she you know she's not who he remembers who she is. You know she's 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 a killer. She doesn't come right out and say that, but she essentially shows him by uh, throwing the the dragon glass spears into the, the wall there and. I love his last line there. I'll get I'll get right on that. I'll get right on making that spear for you. So how that spear plays into next week's battle, I'm not sure. Is it is it as big as they feel like they're making it out to be, or was that almost just more uh, you know, a plot device to have Arya and Gendry have something 
of note to, to talk about in those couple scenes they've had so far. I'm not sure, but uh, it's also worth noting Davos and, and Gilly uh, in, in the courtyard there attending to some of the refugees. Um, even Davos has that interaction with that little young girl with the, the scar on her face, essentially, um, you know, as a placeholder for Shireen, uh, you know, Shireen Baratheon a couple of seasons ago when he had so many great scenes with her. Um, it's it's kind of a nice little tiny callback without you know blatantly saying that that's what they're doing um that was a nice scene especially because that's that gives us some context as to what's going to be going on down in the crypts um you know you're going to have all these innocent people who are not fighters um they're not warriors they're down there just hiding and uh, i think they've come out and said the producers that yeah, the crypts are largely unexplored on the show and i think probably more so in the books but they can go on for miles and miles and miles so how that plays into uh, the battle i mean is that just a a place to hide or does somehow some way uh the army of the dead slash the night king resurrect some of the old stark bodies that are down there um you know i'm not sure what else they would be other than just bones but you have you've definitely seen the army of the dead um in in just bone form you know you've seen plenty of whites that are not uh that they don't have any skin or anything like that so it's certainly a possibility i'm not sure the show would go in that direction but how horrific would that be if they do somehow resurrect or maybe just the mere presence of the night king himself brings about any sort of uh, dead back to life once he's in the area um how horrific would that be if if they do come back to life and all the innocent people down there that are hiding um they just get ripped to shreds and killed by all these um you know undead uh, starks i mean that would, it would be awful but it would be a shocking game of thrones typical style moment um that i can certainly see happening i'm just not sure of the all the likelihood that it will um you know meeting we've already talked about the table scene with everybody um sort of the, the planning I, I expected much like the jamie trial expected that scene to be a little bit longer i thought there might be more scenes where you know varus or Tyrion or um you know jorah would be scouting out positions and certain tricks that they might try to pull on the white walkers and the army of the dead um maybe they're just hiding that they're keeping that close to the best so that it's actually a surprise to the audience as well who knows i could definitely see that um but but uh i might as well head out to the the, the final night and the final drinks that a few of our favorite characters have and that uh, meeting there by the fire and uh you know it's worth mentioning that torment is clearly the most valuable actor uh or most valuable character on this or in this episode i mean how many one-liners did he have that made for laugh out loud moments you know immediately when he arrives he the first thing he thinks of is is the big woman still here you know and then he he has the the story later to to brianne and everybody else there about how um he killed a, a giant and then uh you know he slept with his the, the giant's wife for for months and then that's how he became torment giant spain i mean it's just delightful listening to to him talk about his past and and, and really anything I, I i'll watch him drink coffee for two hours i mean it's 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 uh it's 
it's one of the best parts of the episode, one of the best parts of the, the series so far. And it, it begs the question of, of what his fate may be. I mean, does he have all these big lines and these moments with Brienne this week so that, you know, we feel a little bit more for him when he dies, but he's had so many brush-ins with death that, I don't know. I mean, do we need one more brush-in or is this going to be the last battle that he fights? Um, he's definitely on top of my death list for next week. But um, And that, that scene then plays into the, 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 the title of the episode, the reason for the title, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, and that's that... Brienne finally gets her moment to be um, a knight. I mean, how many? She's she's wanted this. I mean, even if she hasn't come out right out and said that she's wanted it all this time, she certainly, certainly has. And and who better than Jamie to 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 bring her that honor? And um, you know, by the name of the father, by the name of the mother, by the name of the warrior. I mean, it's it's great stuff. And one of the most pleasing scenes of the entire series this far i know that um gwendolyn christie said that it's her favorite brand scene and if there's anybody more deserving of, of being a knight it's brianne i mean i can't imagine i mean she's been more honorable than than any other knight we've seen on the show i mean if you think about it um and that eventually does lead to podrick's song and I believe the actor's name is, I always forget his name, but I believe it's Daniel Portman. It, nice voice, and it's its one of the best musical moments of, of the, the show. You think back to like season four when you have uh, at Joffrey's wedding, you have the Reigns of Castamere playing in the background, you have it playing in the background at the Red Wedding. Um, you maybe have a song in early parts of season seven when Ed Sheeran showed up. I mean, there's so many, so many musical moments on the show that... Um, I, I think this may be one of their best ones. And it, I, I believe that it comes from the books as well because I did see an article earlier and I should have uh, wrote down the website. But the actual lyrics to the song do reference um, Duncan Targaryen who, who was married to Jenny from Old Stone, I believe. And he gave up his crown to his brother, if I'm not mistaken, which would be the Mad King, um, Aerys Targaryen. He gave up his crown for love. And that song is... I don't know if it's essentially spoiling the way the Game of Thrones ends, which would be Jon Snow gives up his crown for Daenerys essentially and dies sort of in a way because of that. But it really is interesting how much they're sort of foreshadowing um, what may be to come with um, with those characters and really everybody. It, just, it, it was a great, great way to, to wrap up the um, entire episode essentially or almost wrap up there's still you know one more scene coming but um you know once again that brienne and, and jamie scene extremely emotional that uh, much like the theon sansa scene almost you know nearly brought me to tears just it's so it, it, they just deserve it jamie deserves to to give brienne that honor and brienne uh deserves that honor more than anybody else in the show so um you know so quick quick death predictions before I get into that last scene and I, I do think that you know next week we'll have probably four to five main character deaths and I mean when I mean main character deaths I mean characters that are you, you see their names um, in the opening credits like we're talking Grey Worm is 100% dying um, he has a small moment with Masande in this episode but he's 100% dying I put pretty strong chances that Tormund is dying. I would 
very strong chances that Theon is dying. Likely Bran is dying. Uh, I could see Jorah dying. I'm not sure if they will do that just yet. It feels like a character that might see almost to the end uh, of when Daenerys sits on the Iron Throne. It almost feels like we need Jorah to return to, to King's Landing, right? He hasn't... Uh, he hasn't been there in quite some time or I can't even remember if he was in that episode right at the end of season seven when, um, you know, everybody was in the, the dragon pit, but it does feel like he needs to be there at the end with Daenerys, whether or not the show gives us that happy moment. I'm not sure, but there's just so, there's so many characters that, that very well could die. I could even see Arya dying this week. I mean, so especially Arya and Gendry actually, especially because they get their moment, they get a couple scenes together. It just feels like the characters that we typically see more, scenes within the episodes prior to their deaths it it, it begs the question of, of how likely their chances are of dying and and i will say somebody who i guarantee will not die there's no way that they kill off the hound even though people are thinking that before he gets to his brother um and somehow in some way has a clavain ball type situation that's the um that's the the want and desire of pretty much every fan so i can't imagine them killing off the hound before that but Finally, we head down to the crypts once again, where John is sitting there or standing there looking at his aunt. Nope, his mother, Lyanna Stark, and Daenerys joins him. You know what's coming in this moment, even though last week I did say that I highly doubt John would tell anybody about his true heritage. It just doesn't seem like a, a move that his character would make, but he did. He did. He did do it. I mean, he did tell her. I mean, does that even mean that he might be? die next week next week's episode because you can't imagine he would die before telling anybody and now that he's told Daenerys you have to imagine that his chances of dying are you know raised even higher now and oh man that scene is that scene is something else to watch because you, you think about it they both and I believe Brian Cogman the writer mentioned this in one of his interviews after I saw that uh, they both have. They both are reacting to different things in that scene because John is telling Daenerys uh, his heritage, and Daenerys is reacting to the fact that, oh shoot, he may actually have a higher claim to the throne than I do. In fact, he does, just because in Westeros, that's you know when there's a higher male heir to the the throne, that that's the that's the route they go to. So even though Daenerys is in a way born first, or it, closer to the mad king's uh you know lineage um it does go down to john or aegon targaryen as he is now known but so she's reacting to the fact that he has more claim to the throne while he is reacting to the fact that um that she's that she's looking that she's she's like unsettled by this fact like she's she's not She's not thinking about the fact that they're related and that they're they've been with each other now um, while being related. She's reacting to the fact that it's his, all about his lineage. So his face, um, looking at her reaction, it's just a great direction the way they they move the camera from one face to another, from Kit Harrington's to Amelia Clark's, and um, just great camera work, great uh, subtle acting, really all through the eyes for both them, and that's not easily accomplished and, and something that the show has always done really well so i'm was really glad to see that and i always prefer in these type of scenes the little the, the less dialogue the better right um and that was that was that really was shown well in that in that in that scene i mean i'm not sure you could have written or 
uh, shot that scene any better than than what happened there. And it just it's the perfect amount of uncomfortable, unsettling, um, but intriguing. Uh, I think is the right word. And and really that that's a that's about it. So so we have two episodes now that were largely character pieces setting up what's to come. And I know some people may have been upset that there haven't been battles yet. Um, but I, I think that that it's, it works the way that they've done it so far, and we're in for we're in for something. The last four episodes, like once it gets going next week, uh, it's not going to stop. And it's hour twenty twenty four minutes, hour twenty something like that. So that's that's a lot a lot to take in. They they're saying it's the longest biggest fight sequence in the show's history, uh, or not the show's history, literally TV history. So. Boy, that's that's gonna be something. So, those are my predictions. Those are my thoughts about this episode. Um, and, and I love that Brian Cogman. One last thing I should mention: he did say in the interview that it, this episode is a love letter to all the characters, and it absolutely is. Everybody gets their moment. Everybody gets their time to shine. It's the last night in this world, perhaps, and um, it's just a, it was a nice way to cap off all the seven seasons that have come before. And the four episodes that are coming up. So until next time, that's all I got. Thanks.